Welcome back to Sell Me, the podcast that helps you make decisions. We are on episode five and now going into uncharted territory because I am here with Dr. Angela Woodland, accounting accounting, accounting yes. instructor at Montana State. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. I'm super <laughs> excited and kind of nervous because I don't really know anything about accounting. I've only well, it's taken, very scary. It sounds scary. There's yeah. too many numbers you, for me. You should be terrified. I am. I'm honestly, my, my heart rate just went up. You saying that, my heart rate went up. Uh, why accounting? Why accounting? Yeah, for you. Well, so a long time ago when I was in accounting, that we were a different breed. And, the, and so we were after jobs. And so I had heard that the way to get a good job was doing accounting. And so uh, I had really no other goal but to get a job and to make some money and to be able to support myself. And it turns out that I ended up liking what I did, and it actually played a really interesting role in the world, but I didn't know that when I went into accounting. Really? Um, I know, I had no idea. Did you study accounting in school then? I did. Really? You did your undergrad in accounting? I did. You are literally the first teacher I've talked to so far that actually is teaching what they learned in school. I did. Um, We're one for four right now. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be the, the zebra then. Um, no, I actually studied undergrad, uh, undergrad accounting. Um, went through, got my undergrad in accounting, started work for a public accounting firm. It was called Pricewaterhouse at the time. It's now called PricewaterhouseCoopers. It was one of the big, it's one of the big four accounting firms and went to work as an auditor there and didn't even know what I was doing, had no idea, really. really. But when I got there, I realized I was actually doing something that was valuable in the world. I was auditing the financial statements of companies with the goal of protecting the public so that they wouldn't rely on misstated financial statements when they made really big, important decisions. So if you think about it, um, everybody has a retirement fund. So teachers have a big retirement fund. Um, anybody has a 401k plan and they make all these decisions about where to invest this money and they make those decisions based on the financial statements. And if the financial statements are misstated for whatever reason, then they can make really bad decisions. And, and we've seen lots of examples of that. And I was the person out there trying to make sure that they didn't make bad decisions based so, on bad numbers. So being an auditor, mm -hmm. did were people scared when you came around? Where like <laughs> well, Angela Woodley walks in, you're like, oh no, yeah. everybody check, double check, triple check, whatever you gotta do, check as yeah. many times as you can before she gets to your desk. Yeah, here comes this 22 year old. Right, um, strutting in. Right, right, no. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they were scared, but they certainly didn't. They didn't enjoy the process. I mean, they, I mean, when the auditors came, it wasn't the most pleasant time for a company because we we got to look at whatever we wanted to look at, ask whatever questions we wanted to, to ask, and um, we were basically there to challenge um, any of the numbers that they had reported and to to make sure that they could prove that that what they had in their financial statements was correct. So it was an adversarial position to be in. So yeah, I'm always like the word audit scares me. I don't I don't know if it's probably from like my my experience at the airport, which we get audited about everything. But right, well, there are lots of different types of audits, and most people are familiar with IRS audit, which is a bad yeah. thing. If you get selected for an IRS audit, you're that going means to jail <laughs> or fined or something right. like that, right? So so I wasn't that type of an auditor. I was a financial statement auditor, um, and actually, the people you audit hire you to do their audit. Okay. Um, so it's a little different. They're asking for it then. They're they're asking for the audit, right? Um, but uh, uh, still, it's not the most pleasant of processes to go through. But they want to 
demonstrate to the world that their financial statements are reliable. There's some benefit to them to being able to demonstrate, hey, you can rely on our our financial statements. Is that is auditing something that you actively sought as a job, or yes. is it something that somebody was like, hey, you should come in and be an auditor? Uh, well, I sought it as a job. I right. didn't know what, what area really I wanted to go into, so I interviewed for audit positions. I interviewed for tax positions. I also interviewed for private positions, like with Boeing and Monsanto Ooh. and some of the big companies. So I interviewed a lot because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I thought the best way to find out would be to go on a lot of interviews. Right. And um, when it was all said and done, I decided I wanted to be a financial statement auditor with a big public accounting firm. I feel like auditing for Boeing would be a lot of... Well, that would be different. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be nine, auditing. It would be oh, just a, a, an accounting position. That's and a lot of, like, nine-digit numbers. It is. Some of our students right now go to work for them. So we have a student who recently graduated from Montana State who's with the International Accounting Division for Boeing. That's and, not, and she's that's doing too great. Many, that's too many numbers. It's I mean, a lot I can't of numbers. Even... And they're not dollar numbers either. They're in all sorts of different denominations. Really? Right. What? Because I, mean, I like I'm a big airplane guy, big right. fan of airplanes. There you go. I've and said I know, right then. yeah, right. And <laughs> I know that like the triple seven X, their new airplane that's coming out, the right. engine is like three hundred fifty grand each. Right. And like dealing with that sort of numbers and the number of items that go into creating like a commercial airplane or even their military stuff. Like right. that that's a lot of numbers. How how do you even how do you even deal with that? Do you just put everything's in everything in thousands or does it have <laughs> well, to go down to the penny? If you look at their financial statements, their denominations are in millions. They just round oh. off at the millions. Um. That's some serious. That's some, those dollar bills you're dealing with there. <laughs> I went on a tour of their facility with a group of accountants a couple of years ago, and uh, it was it was just fantastic to see the the planes as they go through. They're on these they're on these uh, motorized tracks that move the planes just uh, a few feet every second. Right. As they work on them. God, they're so huge right. too. Right. So some of our students go to work for them who graduate from from here at Montana State. That's awesome. It's great. We have great I, opportunities for our students. I always think that the only people going to Boeing are engineers. Oh, no. They yeah. need accountants. Everybody yeah. needs accountants. Everybody needs accountants. That's right. Man, so as an accountant, do you like do you see the world differently? Do you see everything in I terms do. of like dollars? That and fraud. That fraud's my that other fraud. area. So I always think about what could be going on here that needs that needs to be fixed. You're always looking at who's doing something wrong. Who could be doing something? Who could wrong. be messing around? Right. I think about it when I go to dinner. Really? I think about it when I walk into a business. Is that stressful at all? No. It's, no, it's, it's just it's normal. It's just fascinating. Yeah, I I don't think I could look at like a whole building even and think I think about uh, break it down in terms of numbers and who's like <laughs> being shady in the background I think about when I go to church what right. oh with like the the giving right. basket fraud and not for profits is huge that's um, how does how, how do you how do you deal with fraud as an accountant um, we, we try to think about ways to prevent it right and if if not prevent it then ways to detect it okay how, how would you I just don't, I don't really know clues. how, like... There are red flags and clues that accountants can pick up on and tests that we can run so that we can identify if it's happening and where it's happening and who did it and how they did it. So their accountants can be investigators of sorts using all the accounting clues that are out there to find out what happened and, and put it all together. So somebody's always watching? Well, it should be. Should be. Right. But 
some people get away with it. That's right. What's your major? Marketing. 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 So, um, uh, the management majors, and I don't know if they know this, but the management majors need to know that managers and companies are supposed to be responsible for preventing and detecting fraud in their organizations. Okay. But I don't think they know that. And, um, so a lot of times it's the accountants who are put in charge of preventing and detecting fraud in organizations, and they have to educate the managers on how to do that. Is there a fraud class that management students have to take? There isn't. So the only fraud class we have in our college right now is at the graduate level in accounting. Okay. And so we need to work on that. We need to figure out a way to make fraud a little bit more visible. Fraud education, not fraud. Fraud education yeah. a little bit more visible in our college. Well, I'm, I'm working on that. So I was talking to, I talked to Bill Brown mm-hmm. a couple weeks back, and uh, we kind of, sort of, you know, halfway came to the conclusion that management is kind of that that general business degree. Mm-hmm. Not, not it in its entirety a general business degree, but, you know, you learn a little bit of everything as a manager because you're looking over more people, essentially. Right. Um, do you think that the management degree needs more accounting classes then? Well, I don't think it would hurt anybody to have more accounting classes right. because that's how business is, is communicated with accounting words. You know, okay. we, we, how well is your business doing? Well, the way you communicate that is often in accounting words and accounting terms. Right. And um, so I don't think it would hurt to have more accounting knowledge, but maybe some specific accounting, not maybe not just general, but how can we do a better job of making sure that we reach our goals? Um, maybe if we had a little bit more on internal controls, maybe data, data analytics, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe some fraud education. Those three specific things. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I honestly wish that I, I don't wish but at the same time I do wish that there were a few more accounting classes that I had to take because now that I'm in senior seminar and we're doing the business strategy game right we're looking strictly at numbers <laughs> and I'm like I don't know I could figure out how to promote a shoe pretty well and right. do a whole campaign right. about that and you know figure out when to do a celebrity endorsement and who's going to be the best celebrity endorsement as a marketing guy but when it comes down to you know, stocks and, uh, you know, all these other things that I learned back in principles and managerial accounting, straight over my head. It would be great if you could feel very powerful over the numbers. Right. So we don't, we don't have to, we don't have to make you know how to do accounting journal entries. Right. And that, that isn't something that you might not, that's something you don't need to necessarily know how to do a lot of as a marketing major, but it would be great if you knew how to use the numbers in a meaningful way. Yeah. That's all. Okay. Yeah. Well, going back a little bit, when you were going into school, mm-hmm. what did you, did you kind of have it in your mind that you wanted to do accounting before you went to school and you just straight in four years of accounting and, and jumped out or? No, I was heavily influenced by my parents. Okay. Um, my mother wanted me to be a psychiatrist and my dad wanted me to be an accountant. Okay. And so... Somehow my dad won. Did you did you try out psychology at all? Um, not really. No. Not even a class. No. I mean, I had some classes, and okay. they ended up being some really important classes. So when I have students now who come and ask me what electives they should take, I almost always steer them towards psychology and sociology electives because understanding how the human mind works and how we make decisions and how groups react and how um, society affects our decisions, those are, those are things that have 
been useful to me my entire life. If I understand how I make poor decisions and how I can make better decisions, those are great things to know. So I almost always steer students toward those classes if they have electives right. that they can make choices for. So I have a book in my bookcase that you can, well, maybe you can find it in my bookcase, um, called The Psychology of Judgment and Decision Making. And that book has been so useful to me my entire life. And so I'm glad that my, my mother thought psychology or psych, uh, psychiatry would be good because um, I did take a few courses in that area, but I never really considered it as a major. Well, it probably helped out a lot when you were going into the auditing field. Sure. Because then you can, sure. if you see something, you know, you might know what people are thinking when it came to that but you can yeah. tell why it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, just understanding how to make good decisions and how not to get caught up into certain um, judgment biases and judgment heuristics um, have, has been, has been a, a good thing. Uh, and just little things, too. Like, I, I love to play poker. And, really? and understanding, um, understanding how people make decisions and how, uh, how certain uh, tendencies uh, affect the way that you make decisions. It's been useful in poker, right. uh, and and also in other areas of life too. But, do you like yeah. follow poker? I do. If you really like like the I World do. Series poker, I do. that is also a lot of digits to be dealing it with. Is. It, it is. freaks me out. I was I was at a restaurant and they had the World Series of poker on TV, and the pot was like thirty six million dollars. <laughs> who who messes around with that kind of money? <laughs> I play um, poker with a lady who got second in the Women's World Series of Poker. What? She won $83,000, I think. Uh, Jeez. Yeah. That, yeah, she's from Bozeman. I think that's more than I've made in the last seven years. <laughs> yeah. God, I'm so broke. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll, I'll get there. We I'll get, get there. need to get Yeah, I need to get out of here. <laughs> um, man, I just had a question, but I totally forgot it. It'll come back to me. It'll definitely come back to me. Uh, what sort of mindset do you think really fits the accounting uh, major versus you know management or, or marketing? Because so far through this podcast, through this, this season, we've every teacher has said that management and marketing kind of go as a pair and finance and accounting go as a pair. But is there anything that sets accounting aside from finance? Hmm. Or are they one and the same? Well, let me ask the, answer the first question first. Um, I think there's a, a common misunderstanding that accountants need to be heavily detail-oriented and they need to be focused on technical issues, making journal entries, things like that. And actually, that's more of a bookkeeper. Okay. That's someone who isn't the level that we want to graduate as an accountant. Accountants need to be able to make really good judgments and really good decisions and think through complex problems. And they're not really focused on making bookkeeping entries. That's that's like, you know, when you learn math and you first learn addition and, and how to do long division and things like that. That's just the beginning stages. Right. All the interesting things don't really have right answers. Um, they're they're complex and they're and there are so many so many interesting elements to them that um, if you put five accountants in the room with the same problem, they might come up with five different answers, and they really? can, and they can all argue it. And 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 um, 
So all the interesting questions in accounting don't necessarily have a right answer, but they might have a better answer in a different, and depending on the situation. Okay. And so, just like in a in a marketing situation, there might not be a particular right answer. Um, Unless you know all the all the details about your client, you right? Know? So, so there's never one perfect solution, but there might be a better solution given the situation for your client. And it's the same thing with with accounting. So, I think an accountant needs to be somebody who's very flexible, very um, open-minded, very um, very willing to consider all of the different inputs into a situation, very willing to consider the client's needs, and who also is technical in that they are willing to learn and understand all of the professional guidance, all the rules, that type of thing. But um, but being flexible and open-minded and, and uh, those, are, those are things you typically think about when you think of an accountant. Right. Um, and I think those are really key to being an accountant because no situation is the same, no client is the same. Right. And, if it were, if it were as easy as you just apply this set of rules, then anybody could be an accountant. Um, that is That's not, true. It's not easy like that. Right. The rules don't fit every situation every time, and um, the best accountants are the ones who realize that um, every client's going to be different, every situation's going to be different, and. Um, they're going to have to be creative, and, you know, and oftentimes we we shiver a little bit when you think of creative accounting because that sounds like fraud. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> and that's not what I'm advocating here. I'm saying uh, creative accounting are the ones who can think of the right solution in accounting for the client, um, knowing that that things are different from client to client. So I think accountants need to be willing to embrace technology. Um, most accountants are not going to be using pen and paper. Yeah. They're going to be doing pretty complex data analytics. I feel like that's a huge misconception too. Yeah. I, my, my thought is someone would say, what's an accountant to you? It's some scrawny dude in the back room <laughs> of an office just running the numbers on pen and paper no. and then just putting it in a giant leather book oh, of this is every single transaction that <laughs> happened for the last 15 years. Oh, I hope there's no book. Yeah. I hope, I hope that we're thinking of really exciting ways to present data using Tableau, using software like IDEA and ACL and, and, and coming up with ways to be ahead of the data, taking the data and using it to predict, not to just show what happened, but to, okay. to, to use it to make decisions ahead of time, not, not just historical, here's what happened, but here's what could happen. So I'm hoping that we're way ahead of the game, uh, on the edge of, of, you know, on the cutting edge of using data. Auditors right now, are using artificial intelligence. Um, they're using software to read contracts and pull out the most important pieces. Right. I mean, they're doing some pretty cutting-edge things with with software and with and with data. And and I hope that we stay that way. Um, I, there aren't that many accountants who are in the back room with a leather ledger. Yeah. Um, there might be some bookkeepers who are, but that's a different. Th it's a very different thing. Different department. Yeah. So then, what separates accounting from finance then? 
Um, finance is a little bit more concerned with how do you capitalize a company? How do you, how do you get financing okay. for a company? How do you take a product and monetize it? Um, so they're a little bit more into um, the capital structure of a company. And accountants are, are more into the financial statements of a company, the budgeting of a company, um, that type of a thing. So there's a lot of overlap, but, but there's a different focus. Do, do accountants have any real interaction with people? Because I feel like that's another misconception that accountants are just on the, on the back end of things and they get something they got to look it over. So when I was an auditor, uh-huh. I had an office that I was never in. Oh. Um, so I was always at the clients. I mean, okay. I spent all of my time, I should say 90 to 95% of my time at my client's location. And all I did was interact with people. So That's awesome. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I mean, had no idea. If I couldn't figure out how to get information from people who didn't want to tell me things, right. I would have been very unsuccessful in my job. Okay. So all I did was interact with people, trying to get them to explain to me how things worked, why they did something one way, trying to um, convince people of things, trying to get them to tell me things. I mean, all I did was interact with people. That's, that's really cool. I, I, I kid you not. I've always thought accountants don't talk to people. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, does it, I mean, are we having a hard time talking right now? No, we're having a great time. <laughs> I'm having a really good time. I mean, it's a little painful, right? It, it hurts you a little bit, right? Uh, I mean, I'm still slightly nervous because I'm talking to an accountant that probably knows my financials better than me, and I, you've never even seen them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's something that I feel may have may deter people from wanting to study accounting because maybe they're actually, they're really people, 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 right. People, persons. Right. I think that, I think that there are jobs in accounting that you could do where you have less interaction. Okay. And, but most of the jobs in accounting are, are going to be, are going to require a lot of interaction with other people. Okay. I mean, the whole job of accounting is, it depends on if you're, let's say you're an accountant for a company and your job is to provide information that supports the rest of the company and you can't provide information without communication. I mean, yeah, it's it, true. There's no way to do that. It doesn't work. No. Yeah. No. All right. So that's new. That's news to me. It might be news to a lot of other people too that mm-hmm. that accounts actually talk to people. So we are, we have a positive. Well, we probably good. have a lot of positives already, yeah. but that's that's a big one for me cuz I mean like I said, I I've always thought that they just look at numbers all day and, you know, they, they see the whole world and, like, computer speak. It's all ones and zeros. But uh, that's not true. Well, I like my computer speak. What? I do like my computer speak. Okay. Do you, I, do, I do like my ones and zeros. Do you do, like, coding and stuff? I do. What? I do. That's really cool. So that's a professor thing, though. Oh, really? So um, we can take a little... A little side trip here, but whenever you interact with tenured professors mm-hmm. and you think, well, they only teach a couple of classes, what else do they do with their lives? Right. We were going to get into that, too. We were? Oh, yeah. Well, good. Let me just go Let's there. Let's go there. Let's go there. <laughs> so uh, whenever you talk with professors who are tenure track or tenured, we generally have a half research or, or some somewhere near half. Uh-huh. Um, mine is 60-40. So I have 60% teaching, 40% research appointment. Um, 
and well it's 60 teaching 30 research 10 percent service okay and that 30 research is the time that i spend writing papers and researching areas that are of interest to me and part of that is spent taking data and coding in the data and running numbers through i use sas it's a statistical analysis software Mm -hmm. and i'll take raw data and code it in and code in my own programs and spin the data and it makes me happy. Yeah. And, um, um, you know, I run regressions and do other types of data analysis and um, write papers. Sometimes I have co-authors, sometimes not. Okay. And try to get those published in high-quality journals that are um, relevant to my area. And that's what the other professors do as well. Yeah. And so what we're trying to do is gain name recognition for Montana State University. Okay. And also for ourselves to a certain extent. But we're also trying to make progress in the academic areas that we're interested in. So I'm interested in auditing research. And you see those blue journals up there? Yep. Those are auditing journals. And they publish papers that that um, make small areas of progress in research about auditing. So, Let's go way back, too. Let's go all the way yeah. back to two, or November 2010. I published in that, in that particular journal. That's Heck why yeah. I have that November 2010 journal. That's a long time ago. <laughs> and so... Uh, so that's our goal is to is to add to the body of knowledge in our areas and so we we publish papers that that hopefully do that so what is your research specifically on well i have i have kind of a a varied amount of research but um for a while i did a little bit of research on the effects of of um adding restrictions to um, becoming a CPA. Um, like w- making it harder to become a CPA? Yeah. Okay. Um, they, they changed the requirements to becoming a CPA, and so I did some research on that. So I have a few publications in that area. Um, I have some research in the audit area. I have some research in the fraud area. And so they're just, they're just various... Bits and pieces bits through and the pieces. accounting world? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that sounds like that sounds like fun though. Like when you get to do your own research, you get to pick what you want to focus on. And you can just get after it. It is, and so so there, what it, what it does for me is it helps me be kind of a well-rounded person. I absolutely love the teaching aspect, which is actually a surprise to me. I didn't know that I would love it. Okay. And I I love it. <laughs> it's a daily interaction with with interesting people. You get this daily feedback and yeah. and. Um, um, students can be delightful, frustrating sometimes, delightful mostly. Right. And this is, you know, a, a daily contact kind of thing. And and then the research is more of a long-term thing, and it's a little bit more solitary, and it um, kind of feeds a different part of, of of who I am. And then there's the service, which is good for the the college and for the university and for the accounting group, and so that it, kind of, it feeds all the different parts of me um, professionally and so together that that creates a, a well-rounded professional we'll say perfect and so that's basically what we do 
that's that, that's I had no idea if there was a service aspect to it either. I thought it was just teach a little bit, do a little bit of research. That's a, that's all your time. No, I was um, president of the Western region of the American Accounting Association. It's a group of accounting professors um, mm. last year. Um, one of our other professors here was president of the entire American Accounting Association, oh. which is which is an international organization. Um, and that's, that's a pretty big deal. That, is, that sounds that, like a huge deal. It, she's been all over the world giving speeches um, and bringing pretty good name recognition to Montana State. That's really cool. I had no idea we had someone... Ann Christensen. Okay. I've definitely heard of her. Well, people around the world have heard of her. Uh, Yeah. I was probably one of the last people to hear about her. (laughs) So what what made you want to be a college professor? So I had been auditing for about eight years, and I was starting to have to make some decisions about whether I wanted to do it forever. Um, did I want to become a partner in the firm that I was working for, or you know, was this going to be my 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 career? Because you know, becoming a partner in a firm requires a pretty big financial commitment and a pretty big life commitment, and I was just not sure. And you know, I needed to be sure before I made Absolutely. that commitment. And I had gone back to give a few lectures at the University of Missouri, just. One of the professors had asked me, and they said, hey, have you ever thought about coming back and getting your PhD? Well, no, I have not. Did you go to the University of Missouri? I did, for okay. my undergrad. And they started talking to me about what happens in your PhD and some of the, some of the research areas that, that you could pursue. And some of the research areas that they talked to me about, I was interested in. And these, are all, these had all been things I'd been thinking about. Did it really matter if you audited this way or that way? Did it really matter if, if you chose this accounting method or that accounting method? These were all things I'd been thinking about in the last few years anyway. And I just suddenly realized that I didn't want to continue with auditing as my career anymore. It wasn't fitting my, my, my life anymore, even though I did love it. And um, I, I just kind of jumped, um, and I went home, told my husband, I said, I think I want to go back and get a PhD. And he, well, that's a change. Um, go ahead. And so we did. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I had um, had been considering for a very long time. But then when the professors offered these opportunities to me, I just realized, oh, I really do want to do research in these areas. They're interesting to me. Right. And. Um, I just decided to do it, and, and the very next day I took the GMAT. Okay. I, I walked in with a check and took the GMAT. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, that's baller. The very next day. <laughs> Take it. Here's my money. I'm yeah, doing it. The very next day, uh, I scored high enough that a PhD program would take me. <laughs> Sweet. And uh, um, I enrolled in a PhD program the next semester. Wow. So it was a very quick decision. So speaking of PhD programs. Yes. What does the track through school look like for an accountant? Because I know that, I mean, you, ha- you obviously have to get your undergrad. Is there something after that you have to go, you have to do in terms of school? Well, most people get a master's okay. before they go into a PhD program. Right. I, I skipped the master's, Oh. Um, which is not the normal course, but um, somehow I managed to get away with it. Okay. Um, but most people would go... Um, undergrad and then master's and then get a PhD. Okay. Um, but a PhD program is a fairly 
also it's it's a, it's a grueling process really yeah. um i hope it wouldn't be easy it's not um <laughs> it's a, somewhere between a four and a six year um experience um, a, a couple of years of coursework and the coursework is intensive um for example, I remember being in an econometrics course that required Calc 3 as a prereq. I'd had Calc 1 10 years earlier. Right. And I'm in a, this I'm in this course. Uh-huh. And so I had to buy two or three extra textbooks just so that I could do the homework at night. Um, so I had to, I'd have to wow. learn two or three other things before I could even start the homework. <laughs> and, and so it was it was I was maxed out. Um, yeah. And uh, Calc sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've done it. It's not a good time. Right. So I'd have to learn, you know, multiple things before I could even be ready to start some of the homework every night. And um, um, so anyway, it's a couple of years of coursework. And mine was stats intensive and economics intensive. And um, because that's the track I, I chose, I chose a capital markets and economics intensive track. Um, some people might choose a behavioral track, that type of thing. Um, and then um, after that, I studied a year before I took my um, I took my exams, um, and the exams were uh, crazy. I memorized something like 200 research papers. 200 easily. I don't even remember what I ate yesterday. And, uh, yeah. I, I, I locked myself in a room in the library for about three months straight and just memorized papers and um, took my exams. And then after that, I worked on a dissertation for about a year and a half. And, uh, wow. Yeah. It was, a, it was a, a grueling process. But the results were great. I, I started work at um, Nebraska was my first job. And University of? University of. Sweet. And then I worked at LSU. And, uh, Sick. Yeah. And then I, um, then I came here. Are you a big football fan? I was there during great football years, yes. Nice. That sounds like a lot <laughs> of fun. season tickets both places. Sick. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, or my brother goes to school in Kearney, Nebraska, uh-huh. and then he has one of his good friends that's playing at the University of Nebraska playing football. So. I was there during the Rose Bowl years. Sweet. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So in terms of uh, becoming a CPA, is mm-hmm. that something that everybody does? Is it, Do you have to do that? You don't have to be a CPA. It would be a shame to get an accounting degree and not become a CPA. Okay. Because it's the gold standard. Right. You don't what? ever see anybody on the side of the road holding up a sign saying, you know, we'll do accounting for food. Right. You know? yeah. I mean, if you are a CPA, it's almost an employment guarantee. Okay, that makes sense then. I mean, it's it's really uh, there's always a demand for CPAs. What is a CPA? It's a certified public accountant. Okay. And if you go through the trouble of getting the CPA exam completed and getting some experience in accounting, you're nearly guaranteed a decent job. And by decent, I mean well paid and and decent hours and um, good benefits and yeah it's 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 hard to become a CPA it's right. a four part exam it's not an easy exam it's it's going to put you through some hell to get this exam but if you can make it through um, you're you're in good shape afterwards and so most of our students who go through our grad program 
in addition to taking some pretty difficult graduate courses, start taking the exam during their graduate year. So they're, if you see stressed out students in the hallway, that's why. Right. They're, they're not only taking graduate courses, which is a big step up from undergraduate courses, but they're also studying for and taking the CPA exam during this time. So what, what sort of pay are you looking at if you, if you have that CPA? Um, well, at a minimum, 60000 but... Minimum? Easy, at a minimum, easily 80000 within the next year or two. I could live off that. Easily. I don't think I'd pass that test, but... With, with dedicated studying, it's perfectly passable. Right. Well... But, 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 but most of the students, this is, they've gone through five years of school, but they're pretty burnt out. They're pretty... Exactly. So it, take, it really takes a concerted effort to to say, okay, I've got to get through this exam. A whole lot of focus. Right about the time when they're ready to be done. Right. Yeah. That sounds like a, some serious dedication, but the payoff sounds awesome. It is a great payoff, but we have this great cohort, and they can do it together. The you know, test? They, well, not, no, they can study together. Oh, I was going to say. They can support each other, and they can study together. Okay. So there is that. That's cool. <laughs> They're not um, going through it alone. And then how many hours do you end up really working? Well, Is it, it still... depends on where they work. Okay. If like they go into public accounting, they're going to work a lot. Okay. Um, they're known for really working a lot of hours. But if they go into, uh, say, private accounting, working for a company, then you know, it's your normal work week. If they go into, uh, say, they work for the state, if they go to the state of Alaska, for example, and work for the... For the legislative auditors, they might work four-day weeks. Um, they might work 35 hours a week. Um, you know, it just depends on where they go to work. And is there but, a season, like a season for accounting? Really? Is. That's that's what we're, I've heard. We're right in the middle of it right right, in, right now. So that from January until April 15th, you don't see many accountants out and about because they're, they're busy working. They're in the busy time, right. and then it kind of slows down after the rest April of the year. 15th. Right. So that's, that's a positive, too. You got a busy season. Once you power through that four months that's right. of busy, then then you could have a little bit more play. That's right. Summer times are often often available for, for a little bit more flexible time, a little vacation, a little family time. Cool. Yes. I didn't know that. I mean, I, kind of, I had a feeling. I've heard. It was a rumor. It was a rumor to me. Oh, it's true. It's true. Sometimes rumors are true. Right. So beyond... Uh, teaching and your research and all of the school that you've done. Yes. Uh, what else? What else do you like to? What do you like to do outside of all this? Oh, so many things. So many things. So many things. Like what? Well, I wouldn't live here if I didn't like to ski. Okay. I mean, what would be the point? Exactly. Right. right. I'm bummed out about it because I haven't been able to ski this season, <laughs> and that's literally why I came here. <laughs> I saw the 16 miles to Bridger Bowl, and I was like. Done. I think I'm coming. Done. And I also right. came in January, and it was, there was, there was like a yeah. foot of snow on the ground, but it was 50 degrees and sunny. Oh. It was it was weird. That's now crazy. Now that I've been here for seven years, it's it's weird that that happened. There and is. my mom was hoping that it would be like negative a thousand and blowing snow everywhere so, and be so miserable. So you have no choice but to study. So I so no so that I wouldn't want to come here because oh. I'm from Colorado. Oh. So she was hoping that I'd I'd stay in Colorado, but we came on the most money day in Bozeman ever. Sorry, Mom. Yeah, sorry, Mom. Um, so skiing, you do 
bridgeable and big sky I do. that's what you said i do um because have you been if you live here you gotta go to bridger bowl you need to live if you live here right 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 so do you like bridger or big sky more i they're both amazing i still haven't skied big sky they're both amazing i've heard big sky is ridiculous it's crazy and it's 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 a beautiful place it's huge it's it is so i have one set of friends who skis at big sky and one set of friends who ski at at bridger bowl so i just ski both and that solves that problem nice do you do you do other stuff in the wintertime, or are, um, do you have summertime activities? I, I golf, and I run, and I hike, and I just anything outside. You're a golfer. Uh, I try to be. Try to be? <laughs> do you go to Bridger Creek, or do you go I somewhere do. else? I do. Um, I want to golf so much this summer. Do you have a favorite hole? Um, well, um, let's see. 18, 17, 16, 15, and 14, we cut. My friends here, we call them the Devil's Triad. Okay. Yeah. Because they just... Balls end up in water. Right. Right. 16, 15. Yeah. So the par, the par three, yeah. the one over the lake, and yeah. then the one, the, the par three with the right. lake on the side. That's right. Right. I almost aced 17. Did you? Yep. And then I, like, 17 putted. <laughs> so that, well, that didn't work out very <laughs> well. didn't work out at all. <laughs> and then... Um, my one of my one of my good friends. Um, we went golfing as part of his bachelor party, mm-hmm. and obviously, a bunch of dudes on the golf course were gonna try and drive the ball about a million sure. yards. That always so, works out well. Yeah, like a happy Gilmore. Right. Right. But on what's it? 16, mm-hmm. the long water one, mm-hmm. we always try and drive the water. Of course. And I did it. Excellent. But it was really wet mm-hmm. that day, and I, pa- I, I passed the water by about, I think, 10 feet. That should be perfect. It was still wet, though. So my golf ball went about six inches into mud. So uh, that didn't work out for me, but it was really cool that I did it. And I don't think I've I think I've only done it one other time, and uh, that one that one ended up pretty well. But then once again, about 84 putted, sure, and didn't didn't get it done. I understand. Do you have a good short game? No, I actually I actually drive very well. Really? Yes. That's I feel like it's kind of rare. It's um it's a it's a wonderful skill to have, especially from the women's tees. Yeah. Because yes. most people try and just pipe it. Um, Do you have a good finesse drive? Um, I'm, I'm more of a, of a uh, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not a finesse player. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to say that. No, I'm not a finesse player. <laughs> you try and put all the muscle into it, guys. <laughs> I used to do I used to do that as well and I uh I was, I'm, I'm I was, I was cap, Captain Slice for a long time. No, of, I've I've controlled that, but uh, no, it's it's um I, I don't I don't play uh, I don't have a pretty game, we'll right. say. But the ball gets where it needs to go. Do you go golf with any faculty? I do. Do you go with uh Jerry? I do. Yeah. He's my man. Yeah. yeah. I go whenever he's working over there in the summertime. Yeah. 
he kind of follows me around and just keeps handing me golf balls and it's always at a perfect yeah. time when yeah. I just lost like six and he comes and just hands me six golf balls. Yeah. He's my man. It works out perfectly. Yeah. I play a lot with Jerry and Tim Harvey. Oh sweet. I'm actually yeah. I'm talking to Tim after after break. Great. I've heard he's awesome. He is. Yeah? Yes. Had a good had some good experience in the banking world. Amazing experience in the banking world. I'm I'm very interested. Yes. Because I know nothing about banking. Well, he knows everything. About I just banking. know that I don't like going to the bank except for once a month when I deposit my paycheck. Asking his, asking about his thoughts on the value of taxicab medallions. Taxicab medallion. Somebody told me about this. Somebody said that he has. Just ask. He has something to say about taxicab medallions. See? Okay. Ask him. All right. Well, we'll be getting into that next time. Okay. But I, think, I look forward to it. I think we got through all the stuff we needed to talk about. Wonderful. And so it didn't hurt you too much to talk no, to an accountant. No. Excellent. No, it, it calmed down a little bit, but good. definitely heart rate was up initially. Okay. But good. we're good. Okay. I'm glad, you, glad we could talk. All right. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for helping me out. Anytime. And uh, this has been episode five of Sell Me. We're about halfway through now. Um, next episode will be with Tim Harvey. So thank you very much, Dr. Angela Woodland. And uh, I will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.